climate change isn't um, on the too difficult pile, something that you'll address in a few years' time. It is definitely on the to-do-now pile. Hello and welcome to another acclimatised conversation on climate change adaptation, the show that picks the brains of some of the leading thinkers on climate change risk and resilience. In September 2015, the Governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, gave his seminal Tragedy of the Horizon speech to the insurance market of Lloyds of London. In it, he highlighted the severe threats posed by climate change to the financial system and warned the problem risk being ignored because of institutional nearsightedness. Well, the classic problem in environmental economics is the tragedy of the commons. But climate change is a tragedy of the horizon. We don't need an army of actuaries to tell us that the catastrophic impacts of climate change will be felt beyond the traditional horizons of most actors. It will impose costs on future generations that the current one has little direct incentive to fix. The horizons for monetary policy goes out a couple of years and financial stability only about a decade. Carney went on to outline the three main ways in which climate change could affect financial stability. Physical risks like storms and floods, transition risks associated with the transition to a low carbon economy and finally liability risks legal claims that might arise from those suffering losses due to climate change. Much of the attention since then has been on the first two areas, the physical and transition risks. However, a growing number of lawyers and pioneering legal firms have been drawing more and more attention to the third category, the liability risks. Their work has been reinforced by an increasing number of international and national laws and regulations and a growing body of case law. One such firm is Clyde & Co, a global law firm that focuses on five core sectors insurance, energy, trade and commodities, infrastructure and transport. The firm soon realised that climate change posed liability risks across all these sectors, prompting them to set up a cross-disciplinary team on climate resilience. To learn more about Clyde & Co's work in the area, I spoke with Wynne Lawrence, an associate working on speciality international risk and reinsurance, and Nigel Brook, a partner and coverage lawyer who leads the cross-disciplinary climate team. I started by asking what had prompted them to start such an initiative. Yeah, we decided to set up this uh, cross-disciplinary team for climate risk and resilience because of this realisation that there were pockets of awareness among our clients, particularly in the insurance market. There's some parts of the insurance market are, are well ahead of the rest of the world in awareness of these issues and what needs to be done to tackle them. And they've actually been a key part of the world's thought leadership, doing their own research and publicising others, and taking steps of their own to, to modify their business with climate change in mind. But this realisation that they were the exception, that even in the insurance industry, there were quite a few insurers who were not um, fully up to speed on these issues, and in other parts of the world economy as well. Um, lack of awareness, perhaps, at this stage, or growing awareness, that physical and transition risks are going to affect them, and quite profoundly, and that there could be consequent legal risk as well. 
The consequences of insurers and other sectors not adapting has led to a significant increase in litigation in recent years. This prompted law firms like Clyde Co to react and offer new services to their clients, as Nigel explains. In the most negative way, we can uh, defend them against litigation. And so there is a rising tide of litigation around the world. Uh, we, we don't see that ebbing. We, we're quite the opposite. Um, there's also, though, advising clients on how to mitigate their legal risk and the, the, the active steps they can take which will minimise the risk that they will expose themselves to lawsuits and for insurers, ways in which they could ask more questions, tweak their policy wording, so as to mitigate their own exposure uh, out of one remove to their insureds being sued. This rising tide of climate litigation has been driven in part by new regulations at the global level and laws at the national level. A rising tide was also the title of a recent Clyde & Co report that traces the growth of strategic climate change litigation. Wynne Lawrence describes how the legal landscape has been evolving in this area. What's been going on is that there have been 1,200 climate change related cases filed internationally um, in more than 30 jurisdictions and uh, 950 of those cases are in the US alone. So the first round of cases were brought uh, against governments and, uh, and municipalities for their alleged failure to adhere to their international commitments, some of those on a human rights basis. Um, one case that stands out is the Ligari versus Pakistan case. The Ligari versus Federation of Pakistan case was a 2015 case where the appellate court in Pakistan granted the claims of a Pakistani farmer named Ashgar Ligari who had sued the national government for failure to carry out the national climate change policy of 2012 and the country's framework for implementation of climate change policy. The court found that the delay and lethargy of the state in implementing the framework offended the fundamental rights of citizens. The court then directed the government to take several concrete steps to ensure that climate change action was taken. Then there was a series of cases that were brought against uh, corporations for uh, alleged contribution or creation of climate change through greenhouse gas emissions. The majority of those cases were brought against oil majors, and we've seen an increased and an uptick in those cases recently. And then there is now increasingly cases being brought uh, by shareholders against companies for failure to properly understand or um, adapt business practices in line with the risks of a changing climate. The report traces the course of those types of climate cases and those various um, attempts of claimants and plaintiffs in the U.S. to hold companies responsible for climate change or for their failure to adapt their corporate practices in accordance with um, the risks of a changing climate. So as climate change dangers increase and regulations and laws become more stringent and more numerous, this is driving that figure of 1,200 litigation cases up still further. However, the picture is complicated somewhat by the fact that not all cases are brought as primary climate change litigation. Some of them are being brought um, as product liability claims. Some of them are being brought as public nuisance claims. Um, some of them are being brought for failure to adhere to environmental standards or regulations. So there's a, a great diversity in the types of cases that are being brought. 
but there's certainly uh, increasing creativity being exercised by those who are bringing those cases and uh, there is an expansion in terms not only of the types of cases that are being brought, the creativity that's being shown, but also in the jurisdictions in which those cases are being brought and the way in which the arguments and the science that's being deployed in the cases is being redeployed in, uh, across jurisdictions. So as climate science becomes clearer and as we are more able to attribute and apportion blame for climate damage, as more tools are becoming available to manage climate risk and as lawyers become more creative in their arguments, there is a snowball effect to climate litigation, with litigation building on itself and informing new actions. We're also seeing strategic litigation. So often where there's a a vacuum politically, the litigation will come in to to fill that vacuum against the government, for example, urging them to do more, and uh, also against companies if they're perceived to be foot-dragging in their own role in mitigating their emissions. Then again, that's likely, more and more likely, to prompt a litigation. We're seeing that a lot happening in the States against oil majors. So then as awareness grows, the litigation risks for those companies and governments that are not taking action becoming very significant. As activist investors and other groups now are confident that their cases will be favourably heard in court. But for companies, there are some difficult questions with regards to liability risks from a changing climate, not least because the potential sources of liability is wide ranging. When we talk about liability risk, we are talking not only about uh, backward-looking litigation, so litigation against oil majors for the most part for their alleged contribution to anthropogenic climate change, but we're also talking potentially about forward-looking liability for decisions which are taken by companies, their officers and directors now, which fail to take into account the risks, the physical risks that may be faced by that business. The primary liability for the effects of climate change was the subject of Clyde & Co's first report, A Burning Issue, looking at the claims being brought against companies for their greenhouse gas contribution to climate change. But alongside this, there is also secondary liability that can arise against companies for their failure to adapt and plan for climate change and its impacts and also potentially for their failure to disclose the risks that their company may face, particularly in light of the increasing uh, voluntary and potentially soon-to-be-obligatory requirements upon companies to provide such disclosures in their annual reports or to at least have thought about the risks that climate change poses to their businesses. The imperative to understand and disclose climate risks as part of material financial risk is being driven to a large extent by the recommendations of the Financial Stability Board's Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure. But disclosing climate risks does not mean that there is a requirement on companies to have a complete picture of all the climate risks to their operations. I think it would be very difficult for any company to fully understand the risks that that company will face based on climate change because we live in an interconnected world and because the supply chains are vast and the effects of a changing climate upon a company can be myriad and multifaceted. That being said, a company has a lot that it can do to understand 
where its exposures lie. So companies can reasonably be expected to have undertaken an analysis of the potential climate change risks to their assets and operations and to have begun to put those strategies into place to reduce their risk exposure. And with increasingly easy-to-access tools and advice available to help companies do this, there are fewer excuses available for inaction. The state of the art has moved on. So I think if a company had tried to do this 10 years ago, they might have struggled to establish what were the rising threats it faced, how to characterise them, where would they be faced. There's so many more resources now available. A large range of companies now who are modelling physical climate risk and the impact it'll have in particular parts of the world, heat stress, drought, etc. We're also seeing an increase in the receptiveness of courts to contemplate making judicial decisions about climate change and about attribution of climate change in circumstances where previously uh, many courts said this is a political question and we're not going to touch it. There has been increased receptiveness over the last 15 to 20 years from judges in the U.S. in particular to actually look at this question. Um, there's also an increased understanding of the science of uh, climate change, and that uh, leads to better prediction potentially of what the climate impacts could be, and therefore potentially a better ability to say one should have or could have known um, what the effects on on a company or or on a community might be. There's also an increase in the science of attribution, so the ability to attribute a specific event or a specific physical uh, manifestation of the effects of climate change to, um, to the uh, emission of greenhouse gases. And so there could be an ability to start claiming against those who have um, who have emitted those greenhouse gases, and those arguments are being used in the cases that we've seen in the U.S. What is going to happen in as we look forward is that as the physical risk of climate change increases, necessarily we're going to see an increase in claims. The formula here is relatively simple. More severe climate impacts equals more loss and therefore more attempts to hold those deemed responsible potentially liable. Against this backdrop, it becomes imperative for companies to respond in a way that minimises their potential liability. I think this is a journey that companies more and more will, will have to set off on. In the regulated sector, the, the insurance, banking, asset management, pensions, Companies more and more will be forced down that path. It's already happening in the UK. We would expect that to happen in an increasing number of countries. And that in turn, of course, will have an effect on their customers because they will start asking more questions about their own climate risk. There's other pressures as well. Rating agencies are now taking account of climate risk. There's uh, activist investors and they're becoming a lot more active, uh, including a lot of household names, not just the, the, the green funds, but, but uh, some of the very large uh, institutional investors. And you're also getting NGOs putting pressure on. So this is a reputational risk as well for certain companies. So I think cumulatively, there's going to be increasing pressure on boards to push us up the agenda, get to grips with it. It's a difficult task. And it'll take a 
concerted action to identify all this. But the companies that do take these steps will make themselves more resilient and minimize their risk of lawsuits. But as Nigel mentioned, many companies are yet to properly consider and assess their climate risk. Perhaps one of the reasons for this is a perception that climate risks are too uncertain to respond to with any precision. This argument, though, is wearing thin, according to Nigel. Well, the uncertainty argument takes you so far, but but not terribly far. I think 10 years ago, perhaps, it would have been a much more powerful point because the, the science wasn't as settled as it is today. And the resources available to you uh, to, to uproot and, and analyse your own exposure to climate change were nothing like as developed. Today, I think there isn't that much of an excuse. And if you look at it at board level, the existing law on the obligations of directors and officers, is all, it's already enough to, to make this a requirement. It's, uh, in other words, climate change isn't um, on the too difficult pile, something that you'll address in a few years' time. It is definitely on the to-do-now pile. Crucially, in a legal sense, dealing with climate liability does not require new legal frameworks to be established, and in most cases, existing law is sufficient. The existing duties of care are there. So thinking particularly about the the duties of the directors themselves, the the legal principles are already established, and they'll be built on by regulations and and so on, but, but the existing law in most countries would be enough today to make directors responsible. In terms of the company itself and its own liability, that's going to be a combination of the existing law plus new regulations. Then uh, most countries are now bringing in new climate laws and requirements, and that's just going to up the game, of course. Companies will have to adapt to those new laws. Another factor that is driving the evolution of climate liability risk is the response from the legal sector itself, with an increasing number of law firms and lawyers turning their attention to this emerging field. We think we're one of the leading firms in the world in this sector in terms of raising awareness and uh, getting to grips with the issues. There's, There's a few other law firms we're seeing putting out some very good work here. And this field is evolving rapidly. We're seeing more firms joining in, and that's that's welcome because a lot of advice will be needed by a lot of corporations and individuals here. I think directors themselves will, will want advice as well on what they should be doing, how to discharge their own fiduciary duties in what's a rapidly evolving field. As the science develops and as more and more resources come online, trying to get to grips with all this as they are required to do and assess what, they, what steps the company should take. That's quite a challenge, and they will need legal advice as well about the uh, two levels. One, about potential legal liability, but two, about compliance with laws and regulations. So all the ingredients exist for a fast-paced acceleration of climate liability risk in the coming years. As we've heard from Wynne and Nigel, climate liability is being driven by a wide range of factors, increasingly severe climate impacts, better attribution of blame, fewer excuses for inaction, more regulation demanding faster action, more tools and advice available to companies to help them manage risk, and a growing interest from a legal sector that can rely on established legal principles. Law firms like Clyde & Co, who are leading the way in this area, have a wealth of advice to offer their clients and are issuing guidance regularly. 
Clydenco's most recent report on the issue, released in July 2019, warns of a coming wave of climate litigation and explains the legal risks that climate change creates for businesses, directors and officers. All of Clydenco's climate reports can be accessed on their website at resilience.clydeco.com. A link can be found in the description of this podcast. Companies and directors reading the runes would clearly conclude that they must act fast to reduce their legal liability around climate risk. Those that act the fastest will also be those that are best placed to capitalise on any opportunities arising from climate change. Thanks a lot for listening, and a huge thanks to Clyde & Co, to Wynne Lawrence and to Nigel Brook for taking the time to speak with us and expertly dissecting the legal issues around climate change. Thanks also to the band Broke for Free, who provide our title music. For more conversations on climate change adaptation or to access world-leading advice and guidance on climate risk management, visit our website www.acclimatise.uk.com. You can also listen to many more episodes by subscribing on SoundCloud, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to catch you next time.